This is the Lead to Lead podcast, where we explore the realm of leadership through the lens of faith. Here's your host, Leah Haygood. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lead to Lead podcast. My name is Leah and I am your host. And today I'm really excited. We are continuing in our trilogy of leadership lessons from Netflix. This is the second installment. If you haven't listened to the first one, go check it out where I'm talking about Chef's Table and a cool little show on Netflix talking about different chefs all over the world. Really cool. And we were able to talk about uh, some things that we can glean from that as far as a leadership standpoint. But today... We're going to be talking about a show that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, This show is actually not specifically for Netflix. It was, it's a British show. (laughs) And uh, it was originally aired on BBC. I think it's on their Channel 4 network or whatever. But we're going to be talking about the Great British Baking Show. I first was exposed to this show I believe right after my second son, Caleb, was born. He was maybe three or four months old, and even maybe before that, actually, because I think I was on maternity leave, and I needed a show to watch. And I had heard about the show from some friends of mine that were like, you got to watch it. And so I did, and I just got sucked in. And at the time, they only had like two or three seasons available, and I was like, there must be more. And... Um, I just really enjoyed it. Not only like the people that were on there, the stuff that they were cooking and how home bakers were making these extravagant things. But before I like ramble on anymore, I'll I'll give you a brief synopsis. If you have not seen this show, it is a British baking competition that features the best amateur bakers in the UK. So that includes Ireland and all the other parts of the United Kingdom, that sort of thing. Twelve bakers are chosen, and each week there is a specific theme with three different challenges. There's the signature challenge, the technical challenge, and the showstopper challenge. So the signature challenge is basically they give, the judges give the bakers a certain parameter. For instance, like each week is a different theme. So typically the first week is cake week. So for Signature Challenge, they may say, we want you to make a fruit cake of some sort. It has to have fresh fruit, and the bakers can choose really whatever they want to to make. Then you go to the Technical Challenge, where none of the bakers know what they're going to be making. And the judges, they don't really give you any help. Pretty much all they say is hey, don't screw it up. <laughs> they're pretty They're pretty vague and kind of heartless at times. But it's usually this obscure dish that either a lot of the bakers have never heard of or it's from the Victorian age or something, and they get uh, ranked from worst to best, and then they choose a winner for the technical challenge. And if you win that or if you're like high up in the pecking order – it gives you a little bit more comfort going into the showstopper challenge. That's a tongue twister. My goodness. Um, And then you go into the showstopper where I believe they know the parameters before the episode or before they start filming or whatever so that they can prepare. But typically the showstopper is something like ridiculous. Like I know one of my um, favorite ones that I've seen was for Biscuit Week. And for all you uncultured swine like me who thought a biscuit was fluffy and was made by Pillsbury, you are sadly mistaken. (laughs) A biscuit is a cookie. 
Now, it depends on, like, if it's a sweet biscuit, then it's a cookie. If it's savory, then it's like a cracker. So you'll hear a little bit more about this later. We're going to have a fun little game that I'll share about in a little bit. But anyway, for this Showstopper Challenge for Biscuit Week, they had to make a biscuit self-portrait. Yeah, just like get your mind around that. If you haven't seen that episode yet, uh, you need to go watch it because literally these bakers are making their faces out of cookies and they have to put it on a cookie canvas and like they paint it with like icing and dye and all this other stuff. And some of them are super creative and others are like, that's a little Warhol-esque. It's a little abstract. Let me put it that way. But they're making it all has to be edible and it has to be a certain texture. It has to have good flavors and all this stuff. Not only do you have to like know how to bake it right, you know? So the showstopper, it's meant to like, it's, it's your time to shine and say, wow, that's incredible. And then after the showstopper, the judges, they pick the star baker so basically it's the baker that has done consistently well and has just risen above the rest among all three challenges and that star baker it's it's just kind of like there's really no other merit to it it's just more like bragging rights so to speak but then they also have to eliminate a person so every week one person gets eliminated Now that you've gotten the gist of how the show goes, let me tell you a little bit about who the judges are and who the hosts are, just so that you know. Interestingly enough, when they switched networks, I think when they went from BBC One to Channel Four, I think 75% of the hosts change. So I'll give you my favorite set of judges and co-hosts. The only one that hasn't changed is Paul Hollywood. Now, Paul, he is the authority on bread, so to speak. In the UK, he is known as the bread extraordinaire because he's a professional baker. He worked for his father growing up, and he learned all the tricks of the trade. But if you want to know anything about making a killer baguette, you follow Paul Hollywood. So there's him. And then his other co-judge is Mary Berry. And I love Mary Berry. She's the equivalent of a British Martha Stewart. So a self-made baker and home cook and has a lot of tips of how to cook with ease and that sort of thing so she has a lot of insight she likes to do things in the simple way but knows how to make some killer food which is which is awesome and then you have the set of co-hosts the first pair these these ladies are my favorite sue perkins and mel i do not know how to say her last name i think it's gidroik Oh, I hope I didn't butcher that. I'm so sorry, Mel, but I love you. Um, So these two, they both, I think they have some comedic background, but I know they're in in television, that sort of thing. But they just brought such a fun spirit as well as encouragement. And they would help the bakers out if they needed it, which is so different from American game shows. Like, I think American game shows are so intense. And the host is like, oh, yeah, you suck. I want you to suck. But I'm going to tell you, rah, you know, like it's <laughs> there's they're just so helpful. And we'll talk a little bit about that, um, about British versus American perceptions of things in just a little bit. But I just really enjoyed them. And then once this show made the jump to Channel 4. Paul Hollywood stayed. He is consistent. I think he just followed where the money went. But still, I love you, Paul. It's great. 
Um, and then the other ju- judge that came on there, her name is Prue Leith, who is very comparable to Mary Berry. She is, I think she's raised in South Africa, but lives in, in the UK now. She's a restaurateur, a chef, caterer, cookery writer. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed when I watched her is she's very good at matching her glasses to her jewelry or vice versa. I'm not sure. She's not afraid of color. She's a bright, sparkling individual, <laughs> but but she's great. And she has this sense of elegance. And I love her saying like, you know, if you're going to make something that's rich, she said, it's got to be worth the calories. And I'm like, I like that philosophy a lot, actually. So I like you, Prue. And then the other set of co-hosts that joined on with them is Sandy Toxvig who I think she's a comedian as well, uh, originally from Denmark, but she does a lot in the UK. And then Noel Fielding, who is my first perception of Noel. I didn't realize this was him until I watched several episodes later, is that he's old Greg. Um, If you have young children, don't watch old Greg around them. But I remember hearing about old Greg in high school and it's like, you ever drunk Bailey's from a shoe? And and then it's like, oh my gosh, uh, old Greg. So uh, I was like, this is what old Greg looks like with no makeup on. Oh, okay. So this is him. (laughs) So anyway, that's a total rabbit trail. And everybody I know in high school that was in our friend group would be like, oh, Greg, and whatever. Anywho, but he, he brings a, a different light to things. So they're an interesting pair. They're, they're funny, though. Okay, now I do want to talk about the difference between the way Americans view desserts. I'm going to narrow it down to desserts. But the way Americans view desserts and the way people in the UK view desserts. Um, I wanted to write about this just because it's so interesting. In America... Okay, my perspective of making a dessert is I go to the grocery store and I look for Betty Crocker or Martha White or Pillsbury and like something in a tube or in a box. And I'm like, okay, all I need is eggs, oil, milk, mix it all together. And I've got brownies or I've got cookies and all this other stuff. So we're very much a instant ingredient culture. We have the philosophy that more is better. It's got to be more indulgent. It's got to be gooey and it's got to be bigger portions. Like it's absolutely, if it's not enough to feed a small army and give them all diabetes, then it's, it's not enough. So I've realized that because I mean, we, we just, as Americans, we like to eat and we overeat. You compare that to people in the UK they're a lot more balanced individuals. They're so calm. Like when you watch the show, like you see them get stressed. But I compare that to like um, Beat Bobby Flay or some other shows on Food Network where they are like sweating bullets and they're just go, 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 all business. And whereas these people on these show, like they're taking the time to have a cup of tea while they're waiting for their bread to rise or prove or whatever. And they're actually smiling. You know, I think Americans, we take everything so seriously, and it's all about winning. And I'm not saying that the people on the show don't want to win, but they realize that, like, they're all people, and they're all just trying to make the best desserts that they can. So, yeah, people in the UK are much more balanced. When it comes to actual desserts, they love having fruit or some kind of acidity in their desserts to balance out all the sweetness which is very interesting because they're like, oh, you just need something to kind of lighten it up. It's almost too much, you know, like they'll make a pie that I'm like, oh, great. You can cut eight slices. They're like, oh, you should be able to feed 20 with this. And it's like, 
what? <laughs> it's just so foreign to me. So um, they also are willing to make things from scratch. Like you'll make a pie crust, you're going to make custard, all this other stuff from scratch. And I'm like, wow, I respect that so much because me, I have simply said, I don't have time for that. Right now I'm recording this in quarantine, so I, I, I do have time for it now. I just don't want to. <laughs> but but still, it's amazing how they just want to take time to make something with their hands and give it to somebody so that they will enjoy it and say, hey, I, I made this for you. So I think they take a lot of pride and honor in what they make, and they're just willing to give their time. Another thing that I noticed from this show in particular is all the different words that they use. Like I mentioned biscuit earlier, and it, it took me a while to like really realize what they're talking about. And I realized, you know, I know that there every culture has their different words or whatever, but I'm like, man, this would be interesting to talk about. So what I did was I created a little game, and I invited a dear individual who happens to be my neighbor who happens to have brought me into the world. Yes, I have brought my mom, Tina Stevens, on the podcast to play a little game. It's called A Bit of Brit. And take the next few minutes and check out my little interview with my mom. I will warn you that it gets a little out of hand just because me and my mom are so competitive, and I'll talk about that later. But here, check out my little game called A Bit of Brit. You guys are in for a treat because I've brought <laughs> I've brought my sweet mother onto the podcast. Mother, would you like to say hello? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to tell give a little bio about yourself, mom? Other than that, you're my mom. Um, my name's Tina Stevens. Been married for thirty eight years. As of uh, as of this recording, it was. Yesterday or two days ago? Friday. So Friday. April 17th. Yeah. Yes. 38 years with the same man. Same guy. Yeah. Old Skipper. That's right. Mm-hmm. And have a son who's older than you. Yes. <laughs> and then you. There you go. And, and three wh- grandbabies. Yes. Don't cut me off. Three grandbabies. <laughs> <laughs> you see who's going to control this interview already. <laughs> um, and what do you do? Oh, I'm um, preschool director at Brescia Creek Baptist Church in Taylor's. For almost my whole life. Yep. I was your K-3 teacher for a while. You were my prize student. Yes. I was your guinea pig is what you mean to say. No, you were really good. Oh. You were. See? Man, people would disagree with that. That's (laughs) true. So, um... I have brought you on because I know that you are a fan of uh, British dramas or you like British history. Um, For instance, you are a Downton Abbey fan. Yeah. Do you have any particular favorite characters or anybody? I like, uh, what's her name? The Dowager. Is that her name? Maggie Uh, Smith? Yeah. I I don't know her name now. The Dame or something. They call her the dowager right i just like her because she's yeah she's got some spunk about her yes as spunky as a british yeah 80 year old woman can yeah. be <laughs> yeah but you also like um lady grantham i think that's her name lady, lady grantham. grantham oh there we go but you're also a fan of um the show that we're talking about on this episode which is the on bbc they call it the great british bake-off but on netflix they call it the great british baking show i don't know if it's copyright but you like that show oh yeah what is your favorite part about the show 
just the challenge itself, the time limits that they have put on them. I yeah. just like to see them. I'm amazed at how quickly they can pull stuff together. And I've always wondered, did they know ahead of time? I think for the um, for the signature challenge and for the showstopper, they know. Okay. But the technical, they have no clue. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, which of the judges do you like? I like them both, actually, because they complement one another. I now, think. which one are you watching? The one nah, it's the guy and the lady, Mary. Mary. Yeah, there's Mary Berry, and now that they've changed networks, there's another lady. Okay, I haven't Mary. seen those. But you like Mary Berry? I like Mary. Yeah. I do, too. I, yeah. I like Prue. Um, she is kind of kind of like Mary Berry, but a little bit more like she's, I don't know. Like, Mary Berry's more Martha Stewart. Prue is a little bit more like... Like more posh, I okay. guess you could say. And what's the guy's name? I, I Paul Hollywood. Paul. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The what do they call him? Like the he's like sort the, of like the Simon. Yes, he's very cut you down yeah. size. He'll just tell you like it is. Exactly. <laughs> but I like. Um, they changed the co-host too. It went from Sue and Mel to um, Sandy and Noel Fielding. Sorry, I totally butchered their names, but they're completely different. They're like okay. comedians. So or I haven't whatever. seen that. But. Mel and Sue, I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. The They just bounce off of each other really well. But anyway, to celebrate that, they use a lot of terminology in those shows that I'm like, what in the world is that? Or I get very confused because like American versions of those words are very different from how they're using them. So I created a little bit of a game. It's called A Bit of Brit. Okay. Okay. And essentially what... I have is a list of 20 English, like, people in the UK say these words. And I want you to tell me the American equivalent of this, okay? The first half is all food-related. And then the last 10, a couple of them are food-related, but they're mostly either a noun or a catchphrase. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you up for the challenge? Sure. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) You might be saying, what's that show that said, goodbye? (laughs) <laughs> the weakest link yeah uh, i think i may be the weakest link goodbye goodbye <laughs> um okay first word this one's kind of tricky because it could be go either way biscuit oh a biscuit that's a cookie okay so i would think of a cookie apparently if it's sweet it's like a cookie if it's savory it's like a cracker Oh, okay. So, like, if it's got, like, cheese or any kind of meat or olives or something, it's, like, our version of a cracker. Okay. So, very good. Okay. First one. Yay. First one down. Ding. Pudding. Pudding. That would just be, like, a custard. Uh, so, what they said was a dish that is boiled or steamed, and typically it's, like, cooked in a bowl, and then that bowl is either submerged in water Okay. Or something. You cook custard on a stovetop, so I don't know. But I, I think I, of like... I think I'm close. I th- Okay. I'll, I'll give you the point. Whatever. Because <laughs> I think of like pudding cups, like chocolate. Yeah. Like you, you get it in a four pack and you pack it in my lunch, but that's not their kind of pudding. It's almost like, think of like a baked casserole or like a peach cobbler kind of thing, okay. except we bake it. But anyway. Okay. Courgette. And that's something you drive. <laughs> courgette. Oh, my God. Jokes. Um, you said these are food related? This is food. Food, a courgette. Mm-hmm. Um, something fruity. <laughs> it is a specific kind of food. 
So it's not a fruit? No. Well, it has seeds. Because I was thinking like an apple core or, <laughs> or peach core, something that you no. do with the core of the fruit. Uh, no, you're way off. Okay. Um, zucchini. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love sure. zucchini. So now uh, well, I, can I think say it may be like, kind of like a cucumber or zucchini, but when I they say that. courgette. Okay, yeah. so I want some steamed courgette, please. Yeah, she likes steamed squash and stuff. And Y'all zucchini, pray for her. Yeah. <laughs> courgette. Aubergine. Aubergine. Isn't that a cloth? <laughs> no, that's gabardine. <laughs> Aubergine. Um, I've only heard this as a color, but apparently it is. Um, aubergine. I have no clue. What uh, is really deep purple? Eggplant. Yes. Aubergine. Okay. Aubergine is eggplant. Okay. Coriander. Ooh, that's a poison, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my um, no. I have no clue. That's not like a colander that no. you drain. <laughs> no. <laughs> Give me it a is edible. It is edible. Um, it's more of a seasoning. Oh, well. Pepper. No. Cilantro. Oh, see, I'm not a cook like that. I know. If it doesn't Lesson come out of a can or... <laughs> <laughs> or the or, freezer or Crisco, you know. Yeah. Like, no, it's it's okay. Cilantro. So. See, I am the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, sultanas. Sultanas. Oh, that sounds Mexican to me. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Something fried. No, it's not. Something steamed. It's dried. Oh, dried. Dried. Turkey. I don't know. <laughs> what would I eat as a kid that came in a little box? And it's dried? Mm-hmm. Raisins? Yes. Really? Sultanas. Okay. Typically, I think they use like golden raisins, but they have use both too. I but think I might do better at this if you ask me to spell them <laughs> rather than guess what it is. But this is so much more better. Okay. This is more better. Okay. Okay. This one you may get. Crisps. Chips. Very good. Yay. Next one. Chips. <laughs> Crisps. <laughs> no. <laughs> Chips. Um, oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> potatoes? I don't know. Close. Fried potatoes? Fries. French fries. French fries. Okay. Like fish and chips. Okay, yeah. That's what I was trying to think. Fish and chips, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fries. Bangers. Oh, that's a hot dog or a sausages. Sausages. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Let's see how many you've got. You've got biscuit. I'll give you pudding. Uh, let's see. you got crisps. you got chips and bangers. So you've gotten five. Half. Uh, we're uh, going on the 10th one okay. right now. Well, I'm glad I'm not getting a grade for this. No. <laughs> um, okay, this one, I, don't, uh, I had never heard of it till probably a couple months ago. Hundreds and thousands. That is a food. Kind of. More of a garnish, but it's edible. Hundreds and thousands of garnish? Mm-hmm. Um, parsley. No. Not that type of garnish? Think sweet. Coconut? Mm-mm. Uh, sweet. Cranberries? Mm-mm. How large is it? <laughs> well, there's hundreds and thousands. Hundreds and thousands uh, A garnish. Hmm. An Something adornment. Sweet. Think of it that way. Like, it's like, oh! Nut. And that's not sweet. Something that'd have to be small. Would you put it on like a salad? No. No. Uh, if you did, we'd have bigger issues. <laughs> do what? I said if we did put it on a salad, we'd have bigger issues. 
Okay. Once you once you find out what it is, you'll understand. Dates? No. Prunes? It's not natural. Oh. Well, then I don't know. Hundreds and thousands. I don't know. Sprinkles. Oh. Oh. Like, like ice a birthday cream. cake or something. Yeah. Like sprinkles. Ice cream. But they call oh, those hundreds okay. and thousands. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. I was like, I like that. Okay. All right. Here, the remaining list, like I said, it's a list of either nouns or catchphrases or there's a couple... Yeah, there's a couple word uh, food words, but next one is the bin. B i n, the bin, trash can. I don't Very know. Very good. Is it really? Yes. Yay! Yes. <laughs> Throw it in the bin. Okay. There you go. Uh, next one is um, chuffed. To be chuffed. To be chuffed. So it's a verb. Mm-hmm. To be chuffed. Um, well, I guess adjective. To be, uh, I don't know, angry. Um, proud. proud. Oh, I'm chuffed. Chuffed. Okay. Chuffed to be a Proud. Okay. There you go. Um, Baloo. Spell. What? Spell it. L-O-O. L-O-O. The loo. The I loo. thought you said Baloo. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, the loo is the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Baloo. <laughs> <Sorry. Bye-bye. laughs> oh, man, y'all. This is... This is getting out of hand here. Dog's dinner. Dog's dinner. That's a right dog's dinner. Use it in a sentence. You just did, but do give me another sentence. It'll give it away, probably. Maybe. Dog's dinner. Oh, that cake is a dog's dinner. Worthless. Kind of a mess. Okay. A mess, really like. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Kind of gross. I'll dog's give that to you. Dog's dinner. Okay. Gobsmacked. Surprised. Kind of amazed, like I'm gobsmacked. Yeah, okay, okay. I think I get credit uh, for that. Yeah, 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 I get credit for it. A jumper. See, I've heard of these. Jumper. Um, is this a noun? Yes. A waitress, I don't know. No, um, it's a garment. Think of a garment. A dress? Mm mm. A skirt? No. <laughs> Pants? No. <laughs> it's a sweater. Sweater? Like oh, my. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we call jumpers their dresses. That's what the, uh, the American people say. Jumpers oh, are dresses. Oh, yeah. Well, I think of like, are so, those like, they look like overalls on top? Yeah, sort of. But they're not. But you wear something like a shirt. Under it. Under it. So a jumper would be yeah. a dress. That's sitting. That's a jumper. So a jumper <laughs> is a sweater. A sweater. A sweater. Yes. A jumper. Candy floss. Candy floss. Um... Shoestrings, I don't know. Mm-mm. Cotton candy. Oh. Uh, That's what they call it. Wow. You're not a fan of cotton candy. I do you? not like cotton candy. Why is that? It is just pure sugar and it melts. I don't like things that do that in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because it's a texture thing. It is. It's that, and what's the other one that you're. It's just well, weird. Uh, no whip, whip cream. Whipped cream or mousse. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's got to be. I want something if it's going in my mouth. <laughs> Not air. <laughs> Sweet air. Sweet air. <laughs> it's funny. I um, I know a friend who, um, instead of putting creamer in her coffee, she packs a can of whipped cream. And oh, no. No. Even if it melted in it? No. It's sweet, though. It's lovely. It's lovely. No. It's proper. No, it's not. <laughs> Let's see. How many more we got? Oh, uh, we got three more. Okay. okay. Knots and crosses. 
Like K-N-O-T-S, knots? No, like zero. Like N-O-U-G-H-T-S, knot. Like all for knot. Knots and cross. <laughs> Spell that again. N-O-U-G-H-T-S. Like knot. Like not. zero. Yeah. Um, hugs and kisses, I don't know. Oh, that would have been a good idea. No, tic-tac-toe. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, I can see that. That's a good guess. I yeah, I like hugs and kisses. Yeah. Peckish. Peckish. Feeling a wee bit peckish. Uh, silly. Mm-mm. Can, can you go to the kitchen? I'm feeling peckish. Hungry. Hungry. Okay. Yes. Hungry. Hungry, Yeah, Yeah, see, none of those words make sense to me. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our American words yeah. don't make sense. Like, for instance, oh, goodness, what, what's a good southern word that only if you were in the south would you understand it? Like, like Hosepipe. Hosepipe. Yes, that's a big one I've heard. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're like, well, you're saying the same thing twice. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but go hosepipe. I say spigot, mm-hmm. though. Spigot, but I say hosepipe. But if there's a hose statue, drink from the hosepipe. Mm-hmm. Or buggy instead of cart. Yeah. Grocery cart. Well, mm-hmm. if I say cart, I'm going to say grocery cart, or I'm going to say, hey, go grab a buggy. But buggy. I mm-hmm. say buggy. Go get a buggy. What else? Trey, and my brother always talks about um, pulling the door to. Mm-hmm. That's a southern thing of saying, hey, mm-hmm. pull the door to. And mm-hmm. he was all like, pull the door to what? It just means mm-hmm. close it. Is there anything that, like, grandma would say that was completely southern? No, she just calls lunch dinner and dinner supper. And dinner supper. So it's breakfast, breakfast dinner, dinner, supper. supper. Mm-hmm. And I say breakfast, lunch, supper. Sometimes dinner. I usually say supper for the last meal. For, <laughs> for the last for meal. For the evening meal. The so evening I say meal. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't you think I've said... I mean, supper. I've yeah. grown up hearing supper all my life, yeah. but I only... What do you want for supper? No, I say supper. Okay, that's... I think mm-hmm. that's an older it is. word. Maybe we'll have, I'll bring, bring you on for another episode and it'll be a, a bit of Southern and we'll just go through all the Southern yeah, things. I might do a little better with that. Why don't you give me a list of Southern words and then you can quiz me. How about that? Maybe that'll be another episode yeah, one day. We'll see. For those of y'all who don't know, like my mother is a lot more competitive than I am, I think, but I'm still pretty competitive. <laughs> <laughs> and so every Christmas, there's always a game that we have to earn our Christmas presents. Why is that? <laughs> because... It makes it fun, and it makes you. It's not like I'm just giving you your money. I want you to work for it. Yeah, and sometimes y'all. it it makes you think about family things, memories that we've had, and then others. It's just so I can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> because your husband gives a lot of uh, entertainment, free entertainment he does. for us. <laughs> yes, because he comes. He's cut from a different cloth. Yes, and that is okay. But yeah, it's so it's so funny because he's very methodical, black and white. And when you give him something somewhat creative or frou frou, he's like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but he's getting better. <laughs> he is getting he better. He's getting a lot better. I think because he's had to watch more Disney and <laughs> <laughs> with our children. Could so, be. but yeah, see now y'all will know where I get my competitiveness from it's it's my mother and it's just a portion of what she has because we have to earn our christmas gifts can you believe it (laughs) oh my goodness anyway uh last word you may know this um i think uh, because i'd heard of it before treacle can you spell that for me (laughs) can you use it in a sentence (laughs) um t-r-e-a-c-l-e and this is food 
food. You wouldn't eat it straight. Um, is it sweet? Yes. It is sweet. And it's a food. Have you eaten it before? Uh, I don't think I have, actually. Well, I have... It's not something that you really eat, like, by itself. It's more like... To sweeten other things. Kind of. So is it like a preserve? A fruit? Mm-mm. A fruit something? Mm-mm. But it's sweet. Mm-hmm. Treacle. Mm-hmm. See, if I had really studied all my origins of my words, <laughs> I could dissect each letter this and This is a pop quiz, Mom. Treacle. I only gave you a week notice. <laughs> yeah. You gave me no hints. Um... And it's sweet. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just say sugar. I don't know. Molasses. Oh, molasses. See, I was kind of, that was kind of preserve fruit. It's really not. It's not. I know. It's not a fruit. I mean, because I, I don't think molasses. I've ever had molasses. I don't think I've it's ever. It's like honey. Yeah, little, but it's. Yeah, daddy has had molasses. I'm not a real molasses because it's black. But what do you eat it with? Well, he used to eat it. You could put peanut butter with it and stir it up, and then you'd eat it like on biscuits. Which, okay. which are our biscuits, not a cookie. Yes. Can you explain a what a proper a southern biscuit, biscuit? It's from has buttermilk in it, mm-hmm. and it rises really high, <laughs> and then you <laughs> put some butter on it mm-hmm. and fill it. I used to, as a kid, sprinkle sugar over it, and I'd have sugar biscuits for my you breakfast. Me about that. That is the greatest ever. Do you put butter on it then the sugar? Yes. Yes. <laughs> And you have one hard side and one fluffy side because when you cut a biscuit in half, you have the bottom and the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would always save my top for last because it was fluffy and really good. Sugar biscuits. Sugar biscuits. So go home and make your children biscuits. And, and they're, that will help their cholesterol. <laughs> sure. Uh, but our sanity with the sugar. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Now, or then now I'm like, I don't do biscuits now, but I did strawberry preserves. Mm. No, I don't do molasses. Gravy? Yes. Not with the strawberry preserves. Ew, but <laughs> yes, gravy. And it's got to be the sawmill, the white gravy. Yes. With sausage? Not so much. I don't have to have sausage with oh, it. but man, just that's uh, the best. Well, Mom, I think you did pretty good. Let's see. Did you get... I didn't do so well that last time. That round. last half, I'm kind of surprised. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of helped you with, with peckish. Let's see. Nine... Okay. Out of 20. 20. Oh, man. That's less than 50%. I know. How does I that, failed. How does that do for your uh, competitive heart? I, I just look at it as a learning, oh. a learning experience. <laughs> how noble of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for indulging me and in talking about British things and and testing your, your root of origin. Well, you, we've got German. Yeah. And German. I know we have Welsh. Yeah. And an Irish, Irish, a little bit of Scottish, mm-hmm. and a little bit of just plain old English, from what I've been told. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, anyway, I hope we did our ancestors proud. I think we embarrassed them quite a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. well, you know. And now we have something to reflect upon and research more about. Yeah. So, so. do we say pick, pick, cheerio now? There we go. <laughs> or do we give just you? Say, okay. Bye. Uh, my, my, <laughs> bye, y'all. Uh, <laughs> My, uh, my my mom has, a, has a, a hidden talent that not a lot of people know about, which is the ability to do voices. Um, yeah, you are. <laughs> Just two. Can you do two for me? Just two. And I'll, I'll tell you which ones because you're actually really good at them. One of her favorite movies to watch is My Fair Lady, and she loves to do the um, Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> hey, what? 
Oh my goodness. Just you white Henry Iggins. Is it Henry Iggins? Henry. Henry. Henry Iggins. <laughs> and then um, the other one um, uh, is a favorite Disney movie of hers. Mary Poppins. Oh yes. Oh yes. Would you like to sing? Spit spot. Spit spot. Spit spot. Sing a little bit of spoonful of sugar. Just a spoonful of sugar gets the medicine go down. The medicine go down. (laughs) Close your mouth, Michael, if you're not a codfish. (laughs) Now when you see her, if you if you live in Greenville, you can say, I know you do voices and just have her like she'll spot them off. They're great. Yeah, and look out because I may be doing your voice. That's right. She'll keep it as an arsenal and only use it whenever she needs to. So, Well, thanks, Mom. Even though you only got 45 out of 45%, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm thankful that you that you joined us. And, sure. Um, anything to share with our listeners? Any nuggets of wisdom? I guess we need to look in the dictionary more and learn more <laughs> words. <laughs> That would be more helpful. British drama. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I guess I'll be tuning in a little more. There you go. Paying more attention. All right. Well, thank you, Mom. All right, you're welcome. I told y'all, my mom can get out of control. I had to rein her back in, of course. <laughs> uh, it was a combo of reining each other in. She, you know, the maternal instincts still come out. I'm, I'm almost 28 years old, and they just never go away, and that's okay. But anyway, so the reason why I did the game was to understand how if things are not explained in the context that they're used, it's hard to determine what they're talking about. For instance, like if I was talking about a biscuit in the South and talking about a biscuit in London, we're talking about two separate things. And so there's typically confusion with that. So I want that to lead into talking about communication. Communication can be your greatest asset or the demise of your leadership. And I say that with such conviction and boldness because it's true. (laughs) And I've got three points here to support this statement. And the first one is, in your realm of influence, how you communicate sets the stage and tone for your team. So that could be a combination of using accurate and specific terminology. Like for instance, like, are you talking about a biscuit or a cookie? Are you talking about custard or pudding or... Um, Are you talking about, is this my job or is this Danny's job? You know, are are you expecting this result? Are you expecting this from me and my job? It's also setting accurate expectations from your team. If you haven't told them exactly what kind of goals they need to be achieving for or reaching for, then they're going to be taking shots in the dark and they'll be frustrated because they don't know what you're looking for. And then you'll be frustrated because they keep falling short of what you expect. So that's the first point. Second point, detail is key. Consider the technical challenge. I didn't go into a whole lot of detail about the technical challenge in Great British Baking Show, but basically what they do is once the judges go away, the host will say, all right, you need to make such and such dessert. And what they do is they give them the recipe on a sheet of paper, 
but they'll leave out little details. <laughs> for like, for instance, they may put the temperature or like what oven to set it on, but they won't tell you how long to cook it. Or they may say, hey, make this specific style of sponge, like the cake, the cake mix. And what if they don't have never made that kind of cake mix before? So there's a lot of things that they purposefully leave out to see how the bakers will react. That's not good when you're a leader. You don't want to leave out any sort of details. You almost have to pretend that everybody on your team is brand new. There is power in repetition. When I was working at Chick-fil-A, it was, it was very common to talk about um, the core four, which if you're in the Chick-fil-A world, you know what I'm talking about. I might as well share what the core four is with you in, in case you're not familiar. But the core four is basically how we are supposed to treat each and every guest that comes in the door. It's create eye contact, speak enthusiastically, stay connected, and share a smile. And I know that my operator that I worked for, Brett Swanson, if you're listening, hey, Brett. <laughs> um, I love you guys. We talked about that a lot. We talked about it. They talked about it in orientation. They talked about it when they had been working there a week, a month, and then a gentle reminder throughout the time of their employment there. So it was just that important. And it was something, it, it wasn't like, hey, what are the core four? You're going to get suspended if you don't know them. It's not like that. It's not very authoritative, but it's, it's a recheck. It's all about checks and balances and making sure, okay, am I lining myself up? Am I, am I creating eye contact? Am I smiling? Or do I look like I have RBF written all over my face? Sorry, that's not really appropriate. But sorry, <laughs> but it's true. Um, so it's a way to keep us all in balance. If your team can recite the vision of your company or your organization, that is a proper litmus test of cohesiveness. I think that's a great statement because... If your team knows exactly where you're going, the mistakes are going to be less and less. They're going to be more targeted and they're going to be more specific because you're all moving in the same direction. So, you know, you always want to be gently reminding your team of where you're going, where you've been, but where you're going as well. And the third statement is... You've heard the saying, what happens when you assume? I'm not going to finish the rest of that sentence for you, but you've probably heard that before. You always need to be checking in with your people, but don't hover or micromanage. I know for me, that's kind of easier for me to do because I like control and I trust people to a degree, but there's sometimes I'm like, oh, are they really getting done? Oh my gosh. And then I just get myself all worked up. But it's important that you, you don't hover or micromanage, you, you gently remind. And the difference between checking in with your team and micromanaging is trust. That's it. Like if you trust them that, hey, when you communicate something, you're, you're going to trust that they understand it, that they uh, move forward, and that if they don't understand it, that they, they come to you for clarification. Trusting your team is key. If a team member isn't meeting your expectations, talk it through to clear any confusion. So like if they don't know that they are not meeting your expectations, gently take them aside and say, hey, can I, can I talk to you just a little bit later? Um, just about a couple things. I want to make sure that there's no confusion. It's a way that it's not, it's not hostile. 
And they're not going to be like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? But it's more like you're in this together. You are the coach. They are the player. And you're saying, hey, let's work together to get you on the right path that's going to help the team as a whole. I want to read to you from a little book in the Old Testament. Uh, It's the book of Habakkuk. Kudos if you can spell that on the fly. But uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, and it's verses 2 through 3. And the Lord answered me, write the vision Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And I like that verse. You know, it's funny. When Jake and I were coming out of debt, we realized we had some major spending problems earlier on in our marriage when I was seven and a half months pregnant with our second child uh, Jake was let go from the company that he was working at uh, unexpectedly we went from one and a half incomes to my little half income and it scared us and we realized all the um, debt that we had accumulated and you know how are we going to meet our bills much less pay off this debt um, and we started looking at some videos on YouTube of Dave Ramsey. So shout out Dave Ramsey. And he really shook us up as far as where our priorities were. And we wrote down every debt that we had on a whiteboard. It was like credit cards, car payments, student loans. I don't think we had any personal loans, but those were the main heavy hitters. I wrote. We also wrote down these verses that we need to write the vision. What was our vision at the time? It was to get out of debt. I'm very pleased to say that right now, the only debt that we have left is is our big elephant and it's student loans, but we were able to pay off all our credit cards, no car payments, nothing like that. We've been paying for cash. We had two babies that were cash flowed, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, and, And God has blessed us and we're thankful for that. But if we didn't write those things down, it's hard to know where you're going right? So have some goals, have some standards, you know, you want to communicate effectively with your team, you need to write them down somewhere, or give them something tangible to your team so that they can read it, that they can fully understand what the vision of your company, your organization, your group, whatever that may be, because that sets the tone, that's the roadmap for how you're going to flourish and continue to grow in numbers in profit, in coworker morale, whatever that may be, you know, the more you write down and the more you communicate, it's always going to be better in the long run. Colossians 4 verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Now, granted, in this context, Paul was talking to the church of Colossae saying, hey, with unbelievers, you know, you always want to be gracious with the way you talk. So I think that applies in our context as well, obviously. But think of this as a reminder of how you should speak to your team. You should always be gracious in the way that you communicate things, not in a sarcastic tone, not in a degrading tone. And especially when it comes to reprimanding or correction of someone's actions, you don't want to make them like... You don't want to rub their face in the dirt, even though they're already dirty. You know what I mean? So you always want to be gracious in the way that you communicate things, but it's got to be true. 
And it's got to have a consequence, right? The way that you communicate to somebody, especially if they've done something wrong, speaks volumes about your own character, right? If you're taking the time to explain yourself and say, hey, listen, you did this even though we asked you to do this. And because of that, you're going to have to do this. And setting that out and say, hey, listen, you didn't play by the rules. As your leader, I have to communicate that to you. And unfortunately, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. And we're going to move forward from this. Ephesians 5 verse 9 says, Masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, before y'all say, why y'all talking about slavery? No. Uh, (laughs) Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. Think of like employee-employer relationship. I believe I actually mentioned this verse in the last episode. I think I did. If not, it's a refresher. So there you go. So think of it this way. Employers, treat your employees the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him, right? So if you know somebody that's been put in some authority and they are taking the easy way as far as maybe they're not doing their job as well as they should have or not working as hard as everybody else but claiming the right benefits. That person, you have to realize that God's watching. Whether your boss or other coworkers see it or not, God sees it. And he, he knows how to handle it. He's a big boy. He can, he can take care of every situation when it comes to that. But let this also be a reminder to you that if you're not a boss, if you're not in a position of authority yet, that you still need to be diligent in your job, no matter what everybody else is doing, whether your coworker is just as lazy or cutting corners or your boss is working hard overtime, whatever that may be, you just need to do exactly what you're supposed to do, what you're hired to do, and do it with a smile, right? To know that you are grateful to have your job, even if it's not the place that you plan on being forever. When you're there, be there. Be fully in, be fully committed, and if another opportunity comes about or if God provides for another way for you, then take it. But you're going to leave a legacy behind saying, wow, that person, I'm going to remember them because they always showed up on time. They always showed up at their shifts. If something happened, they were always trying to make uh, arrangements for someone to either work their shift or do something. They were just dependable. That's the kind of legacy that you want to leave behind as an employee. Remember, guys, communication can be your greatest asset or the demise of your leadership. What happens if you don't communicate? What would happen if you didn't communicate with your spouse? Like ever. What would happen if you didn't communicate to your friends? You lose it, right? If you're not putting in initiative or effort to communicate effectively to your spouse, to your kids, to your team, that relationship is going to dissolve and it's going to die. And then that could mean the the demise of your company, the demise of your marriage, the demise of your relationship with your kids. I mean, we're taking it to the extreme, but I want you to see this, that the power of your tongue (laughs) or the lack thereof can be so destructive 
So take the time to really evaluate the way you communicate with people in your realm of influence, even if you're not an employer or a leader, as far as like position wise, you need to have the mindset of a leader and saying, I need to communicate as much as possible. I know that at my time at Chick-fil-A, when I was focusing on trying to get promoted to team leader and then manager, one of the things that they kept telling me was lead without a title. And I'm like, crap, why? <laughs> I want the title. <laughs> and But I understood what they were saying. If you put something into practice prior to having the title, you're already going to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Practice forms a habit and the habit forms your lifestyle, right? So take time this week to think about how you're communicating in your family with your team. And maybe you need to reevaluate some things. Or maybe you're like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. And that's awesome. Great. Um, and even ask for feedback from your leader. Say, hey, how good of a communicator am I with you? And see what they say. And be prepared if they're saying, hey, you suck in the nicest way possible. Seasoned with salt. <laughs> Hopefully they would be kind. But but just ask them and, and get ready for honesty and take notes and say, okay, thank you so much for being honest with me. I really appreciate that. All right, guys. So this was installment number two of Leadership Lessons from Netflix. And thanks for hanging out. I wanted to also take a minute that uh, the day of this recording, I checked on my Instagram, y'all, and we have 100 followers. What? I mean, I know that that is... Not a small number, but for me, I'm like, I don't know how long this is going to take to build up, but a hundred followers already. And I've only been doing this podcast for three months. So I wanted to say thank you guys. That's amazing. And I really appreciate it. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and like us on Instagram. It's led to lead pod. You can also find us on Facebook. You can use that same acronym or not acronym, <laughs> same uh, handle, um, facebook.com slash led to lead pod. Follow us, like us on there. I really appreciate it. That way you can find out when new episodes are coming out. And by the way, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Uh, we are on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and now we're actually on Google Play Music. So for all my Android buddies, um, you can find us on Google Play Music. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this. The third and final installment of Leadership Lessons from Netflix. I'm staying in the British realm this time. I realize I've, I've done gone from cooking to British, and we're going to stay British. Um, this is not reality TV, but um, it's it's about history. So, uh, and this series was made exclusively for Netflix. It's my husband's favorite show. So we're going to have Jacobus back on the podcast for this coming episode. So stay tuned every two weeks, like a paycheck. You can expect <laughs> the Led to Lead podcast to come out. And don't forget to tune in next time where Jacobus and I talk about our third and final Netflix show. <laughs>